The Fascination of Chemistry, Vaka's Audio Magazine. We welcome you to the third episode of our podcast. Once a month, we explore the exciting world of chemistry. Today, we're heading for the building site, where chemistry not only plays an increasingly vital role, the industry is also coming increasingly under the spotlight as the result of the climate change debate. In Germany alone, the construction industry employs over 1.5 million people and consists of more than 250,000 businesses. Some 150 billion euros are spent on construction in Germany every year. Those who don't work in the construction industry usually only come into contact with construction activity when it causes inconvenience. Congestion on the highway due to road work. Ugly scaffolding necessitated by exterior repairs, and next door's renovation work, complete with the clatter of workmen and the din of machinery. But when you look at construction more closely, it's a fascinating area. People have been building for thousands of years, but the construction industry is constantly changing. Everywhere you look, there are technical innovations, and as in so many other walks of life, chemicals often provide the finishing touch. We talked about this change in the construction industry with Professor Andreas Gerdes. Andreas Gerdes is head of the Mineral Boundary Layers Chemistry Workgroup at the Institute for Technical Chemistry, Water Technology, and Geotechnology Division of the Forschungszentrum Karlsruhe. He is also professor for construction chemicals at Karlsruhe University of Applied Sciences. But back to the building site. We find chemistry virtually everywhere on the modern day building site, particularly when mixing concrete. Builders and engineers alike commonly use a wide range of chemicals. There are retardants, superplasticizers, sealants, and air entrainers. But the building site is not only fascinating from a chemical viewpoint, it is also relevant when it comes to climate change. There is a complex interplay between the Earth's climate and building activity. On the one hand, building, like many other industrial activities, has a direct impact on our environment. Emissions of CO2, carbon dioxide, from the preparation of cement are a major factor, and cement is the basic ingredient of concrete. But where exactly does that climate damaging carbon dioxide come from? Professor Gerdes explained it to us. There are two sources of CO2 in cement production. The first is the raw material. Because the key raw material used in cement production is quarried limestone, which in chemical terms is made from calcium carbonate. This calcium carbonate is converted at very high temperatures into calcium oxide, and CO2 is released in the process. Temperatures of around 1,350 degrees centigrade are needed to produce cement. That naturally involves the necessary fuels. CO2 is also released by burning those fuels, which partly comprise waste substances such as car tires and waste oils. Gerdes adds that sewage sludge is now also used for firing such processes. At present, worldwide cement production amounts to some 2.2 billion metric tons per year. That's enough for about 12 billion metric tons of concrete. The construction industry consequently has a pivotal role in the way humans and the environment interact. As Professor Gerdes explains, 1.2 billion metric tons of CO2 are released each year through the production of cement. That's almost 4% of total carbon dioxide emissions worldwide. So the building sector does have a genuine impact on our climate. 
But how does climate affect how we build? Professor Gerdes described the process in the following terms: the processing temperatures play a key role in cementitious materials. And because our climate generally appears to be getting warmer over the past two years, it has been possible for the construction industry to continue working through the winter more or less without interruption, because those winters were relatively mild. The flip side is that very hot summers pose problems. If cementitious coatings are applied to exterior concrete surfaces in such conditions, they can very rapidly fail. They are susceptible to cracking, and even recently constructed objects may need repairing in the short, medium, or long term. Gerdes knows of people in the industry who are responsible for expressways and can occasionally only perform concreting work at night because the elevated daytime temperatures make it simply impossible to process the material effectively. That increases the cost, and of course, means that the people working on the site are at greater risk. Because the risk of site accidents is higher at night than during the daytime, so the construction industry and construction chemicals need to adapt to changing circumstances. One obvious approach for more efficient building is, of course, to use less raw material. To cut back on gravel extraction, for instance, old concrete can be reused. It occurs wherever old buildings are being demolished and is a suitable raw material for new concrete. Although the process of making concrete from recycled products is more involved, and the proportions of each component need to be carefully defined because of their complex composition, avoiding the need for gravel preserves natural resources and cuts costs. So, how does chemistry help with construction? Professor Gerdes explains that special construction chemicals are needed in certain construction applications to tailor the characteristics of building materials precisely as required. For instance, when water-soluble plaster is used, its water solubility can cause big problems in areas where dampness is encountered. Microbiological problems can equally occur. Construction chemicals are needed in these instances to prevent such problems with these materials. This is referred to as performance-optimized materials preparation. Many present-day research projects also aim to manufacture tailor-made materials with the aid of construction chemicals, ranging from plasticizers that improve the processability and strength of concretes to hydrophobic plasters that can then be used in the form of interior design elements, even in bathrooms. Explains Professor Gerdes. Although concrete and plaster are essential building materials, there are many others too. Paints, for instance, that give buildings an attractive color. Here too, chemicals can enhance their visual impact. According to Professor Gerdes, there are already paints on the market which, as well as having a decorative purpose, incorporate titanium dioxide. This helps them to eliminate pollutants inside a building. So, in the future, we can look forward to having surface protection systems that perform not only an aesthetic function, making a room yellow, green, or blue, but also the practical function of purifying the air, preventing microorganism growth, and much more. Silicone resin paints are a good example of how paints do much more than simply impart color. Water simply beads off silicone resin paints, which are nonetheless permeable to water vapor. They are made, for example, with primers, binders, and hydrophobic additives from the Vacker Silras BS product range. Finally, Professor Gerdes revealed the direction he expects the industry to take in the future.
He believes construction will remain a highly interesting market for the chemical industry, and one that is set to grow in the future. Perhaps less so in the area of housing construction than in infrastructure construction or other areas that involve building production plants and other industrial facilities. These will call for materials with very specific properties. The chemical industry does a lot of basic research on materials that are used in areas other than construction, for example, in medicine and engineering. The construction industry could benefit greatly in the future from a substantial technology and knowledge transfer, even if nobody is currently contemplating the use of these materials for construction purposes. So, major construction sites worldwide will continue to witness many innovations in the future. And chemicals will usually be involved. At the end of this episode, we come to an aspect of building that affects how each and every one of us lives. Our question of the month Can a wall breathe? We all know the saying that walls have ears, figuratively speaking at least, but do they breathe? If you look closely at a plastered wall, you'll notice that it has pores, rather like our skin. Air, and therefore moisture, is able to pass through these pores. So walls do breathe to some extent. There was once a person who believed that his walls breathed quite intensively the 19th century German hygienist Max von Pettenkoffer. Von Pettenkoffer carried out the following experiment. He sealed up all the doors and windows in his study and even the keyhole. Yet the rate of air exchange fell by only a quarter. So Pettenkoffer concluded that the remainder must be passing through the walls. His assertion has now been refuted. Although a wall does permit some passage of air, in normal pressure conditions the volume is so low as to be effectively negligible. Today, when we refer to a wall breathing, we mean its capacity to absorb moisture. A good interior climate depends on a wall being able to retain and release water vapor, so it acts as a kind of buffer. Classic lime plaster does this, as well as modern plasters such as silicone resin plasters containing Silres BS silicone resin binders. They ensure that the pores in a wall remain open, helping to keep the interior climate agreeable and healthy, and in effect enabling the wall to breathe. That's all this month for the fascination of chemistry. You'll find more information on the internet at www.vacher.comslash podcast. Tune in next month. Goodbye. Vacher. Creating tomorrow's solutions.